Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, There's More. This week's big idea is live a wine-free life, and it's based on a story found in 2 Kings chapter 20. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Valley Point Church and a holiday weekend. It is great to see you. If you have a Bible or a smart device, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 20, and you'll find these words on the screen in just a moment as well. We're going to have a lot of fun today just kind of looking at a very peculiar story that I think you'll find interesting, and hopefully you walk out with just some good information that is going to help you take some next steps today. So we'll get to 2 Kings chapter 20 in just a moment. If you're here for the very first time, you're a guest with us, from my heart to your heart, I want to say thanks. Thank you for being here, and I'm really grateful that you've taken time out of your day just to be with us, and I hope that you find today's experience to be meaningful for you. I hope that you walk away encouraged, and I hope that you also find a home right here. So thank you so much for being here. We're doing something over the summer here at Valley Point called There's More. That's the name of our series. And it's really exciting what we're doing. So catch your breath, simmer down a bit because this is exciting. Here's what we're doing. All summer long, we are spending our time on Sunday morning talking about spiritual disciplines. Yeah! That's exciting, isn't it? Actually, it's not. And I want to acknowledge the tension in the room over that because there are probably more exciting things to talk about until, until we understand and we get and we wrap our minds around the fact that when I engage in these ancient spiritual disciplines that have been given to us as a gift, And when we really lean into them, what we'll discover is that we can take our friendship with God to a whole new level. And our relationship with God will be more than just a Sunday thing. Because let's be honest, if your relationship with God is just a Sunday thing, why not sleep in, right? I mean, let's just keep it real. Just sleep in. If my friendship with God and my relationship with him is only about Sunday, well, I can do other things with that time. But here's what I want you to think about, and here's what I want you to hear. My friendship with God can be so much more. So right now, I want you to think about yourself and your friendship with God, your relationship with him, whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like right now. Just picture that for a moment and know wherever you are and whatever that is like, It can be more. And here's what helps us have a there's more kind of friendship with God. It's spiritual disciplines. That's what it takes. Now, last week I launched this series and began to talk about the spiritual discipline of celebration, of joy. And what we discovered last week is that at the heart of who God is, there is joy. He's not this ornery, crabby old man in the sky who is a cosmic killjoy. It's not God. Sometimes we picture him that way, but he is at the heart and at the core, an individual who is filled with joy. And so it should naturally be that those who follow him 
also be filled with joy. And last week we talked about the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends on the circumstances around me. And if those things are going well, I might be happy. But joy supersedes happiness. And the things around me might not be going well, but I can still have joy based on the fact that I am God's work and my life is God's gift to me. And when I really get that and when I really understand that, I can have true joy. And that's a spiritual discipline. And I hope you had fun last week kind of figuring that out and just thinking through what we discussed as we started this series. What I want to do now is share our big idea with you, and then I'll also share the second discipline that we're going to talk about. So here's our big idea for today, and that is live a wine-free life. Now, not W-I-N-E, but W-H-I-N-E. In other words, you can live a complaining-free kind of life. That's possible for everybody here. Now, as you think about living a wine-free life, you may be thinking you wish your spouse was with you so they could hear this, right? Or a friend who's just a chronic complainer. But I want you to think about yourself right now and how it's very possible for you to live a complaining-free kind of life. And here's what helps us get there. Something very simple. Prayer. Prayer. That helps us to have a complaining-free kind of life, and that's the discipline that we're going to unpack today. And so what I want to do now is ask and answer one question as we think about this discipline called prayer. Here's the question. What good is prayer? Right? What good is it? Now, some of you might be thinking, why would you even be asking that question, and what's happened to our pastor? You're growing a mustache. You're now questioning the validity of prayer. I mean, what's happening here? Because your experience tells you that prayer is a very good thing. And maybe you can even point to some different examples in your life where you have cried out to God and you have prayed and you have asked for something and God came through for you. God delivered for you. And so you would step back and say, well, of course, prayer is a very good thing. It's useful. That's great. You get it. And I think what you'll discover today is that your belief in prayer is something that will be strengthened. Now, maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, I believe in prayer, but let's not get too carried away with the whole prayer thing. I mean, we really don't know a lot about it, and it's kind of mysterious, so let's not get crazy about this. And maybe you would even say, I pray. You know, I throw, throw a few Hail Marys here and there, or I open up the trunk and I pull out that spare tire called prayer when I'm stuck on the side of the road, and I need God to bail me out, and that's when I pray. I believe in it, but let's not get too carried away with prayer. Let's reserve it for the Hail Marys or when we're stuck on the side of the road. What I think you'll discover today is that your interest in prayer will hopefully go up even just a little bit. And if it does, that's a good thing. But maybe you're here, and this is the question that you're asking. What good is prayer? Because you've taken time, and you have prayed, and you've poured your heart out to God, and you have taken stuff to him. You've been there before. And it's not just stuff that you want. These were real needs. 
and you gave that to God and you got humble before him and maybe there was emotion there and there was a lot of humility and you just gave that to God and no answer, nothing. God didn't come through for you. God didn't answer for you. And so you're asking the question, what good is prayer? My hope for you is that you will discover today that you may be very surprised at the value of prayer as we walk through our paragraph in just a moment. So let's go back to the question. What good is prayer? Here's the answer to that. And I almost hesitate to give this because it's kind of a cliche-ish answer. And I really don't like religious cliches. I don't think they do much for us. But this is just the truth. All right? So what good is prayer? Here's the answer. Prayer changes things. I mean, it just does. And that doesn't always make sense. And that can't always be explained. But when we pray, it just changes things. All right, it's story time. And the paragraph that I want to unpack today, I want to do it for a very specific reason. And that's to kind of blow up some myths we have about God, like this one. So often we think, see if this is true for you. So often we think that God is just going to do whatever God wants to do because that's God. And that's who he is. And that's how he operates. So God's just going to act. God's going to do God's going to perform, and it doesn't matter what I do or say or even what I ask for. God's just going to do whatever he wants to do because he's God. That's just the way it is. Um, Not the case. Not the case. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these kinds of words like what we find in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where God is speaking to an individual, and he says this, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Other versions say, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. And so the picture you get here is that we are invited into this wonderful opportunity to kind of bargain with God, to settle this. Come, let us reason together. And God invites us into this moment. God wouldn't say that if we didn't have an opportunity to have that kind of discussion with him. So what good is prayer? Well, prayer just changes things. And that takes us to 2 Kings chapter 20. Again, if you have a Bible or a smart device, I would encourage you to turn there. And what we're going to discover is that this is a really peculiar story about a king and about a prophet. And God gives a message to the prophet, and God says, I want you to deliver this to the king. And that's kind of how they worked back in the day. They didn't have the completed Bible like what we have. And so God would speak to prophets. And then the prophets would take that message specifically to God's people. And so that's what's happening here. And this is where we get this bargaining thing going on. So here's what 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 1 says. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. Hezekiah is the king. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Everybody tracking with this? Not a great message here. Not a lot of hope. Verse 2. When Hezekiah the king heard this, He turned his face to the wall. 
and prayed to the Lord. I don't know if you mark or circle or highlight in your Bible, but I would encourage you to do that because you can flip back and find things. I would circle or highlight that word pray because this is what Hezekiah does. And what good is prayer? Well, prayer changes things. Let's see if that happens here. Here's what he said. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And he broke down and he wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. Significant statement in scripture right there. And again, I'd highlight that. I'd circle that. I'd mark that down. God looked And he began to speak to Isaiah and said, you you go back. Go on back, Isaiah, and you tell the king. I heard his prayer, and I saw his tears. Really remarkable statement here. So that's what God says. And then God said, I will heal you, and three days from now you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. Here's what I will do. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, make an ointment from figs. So Hezekiah's servant spread the ointment over the boil and Hezekiah recovered. Meanwhile, Hezekiah had said to Isaiah, what sign will the Lord give to prove that he will heal me and that I will go to the temple of the Lord three days from now? Isaiah replied, This is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backward 10 steps? Well, the shadow always moves forward, Hezekiah replied. So that would be too easy. Make it go 10 steps backward instead. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this. And he caused the shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. Now, I believe it is impossible to investigate and even casually read those 11 verses and come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't change things. Uh, you, You cannot read that and say, God heard and God changed his mind and God did something. He added 15 years to this guy's life. Come on, that is incredible, isn't it? I mean, it's really an amazing thing. And sometimes we begin to think, well, that's what God did back in the day. I mean, this is Old Testament stuff, and God was young then. He was snappy and fast, and he could really make things happen because he was a young God, but now he's really an old man, and he can't do that stuff anymore. But yet God does. He still does. Which brings up a very interesting thought, and that is, I thought God didn't change, though, right? There's a theological term for that called the immutability of God. It means God does not change. There's even a piece of scripture that says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God does not change. He is immutable. But when you walk through 2 Kings chapter 20, he sure changed his mind, didn't he? So what's the deal here? Is God immutable or not? Well, when God says that he does not change, it means that he does not change in his nature or his character. 
The nature of God, the character of God does not change. It cannot change. If it did, it would mean that he's not God. So when it says that God changed his mind, it really means here that God changed his mind in how he chose to deal with people, and God does that throughout history. His nature and his character, they do not change. That's what makes him immutable. But yet how he deals with people changes, and that's what we see in 2 Kings chapter 20. And it all started, keep this in mind, it all started with a simple prayer. So what good is prayer? Oh, well, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And here's what it does. It begins to align my heart with God's heart. Think about that. When I pray, when I have conversations with God, it just begins to align my heart with God's heart. And when we get in that space, look out. That's a great place to be. And so let's just take a few moments here and get very practical and very simple and sharpen our focus on this spiritual discipline of prayer. How can we improve? How can we get better? How can we really reason together with God and make this something that just kind of shines in our life? So I'm going to share four different takeaways with you that I think will do that. Here's number one. That is begin. All right, we just have to begin. You got to jump into the struggle. And I think it's fair to say that prayer doesn't happen automatically. It just doesn't. I'm a pastor. I get paid to pray. I do. It's kind of a good get. But I'll be honest with you and say, it is still a struggle. And it doesn't always happen. And I know I don't spend the right kind of time in prayer having regular conversations with God as I should because this doesn't doesn't just automatically happen. It's a struggle, and we have to begin at some point. I think it's fair to say, out of all the spiritual disciplines that we're going to discuss over the summer, this thing called prayer probably brings the most guilt into our lives. Because we all kind of know we don't do it enough. And we're not as good at it as we should be. So there's this level of guilt that kind of piles onto our backs that somewhat keeps us from really engaging in a consistent prayer life. And so one of the things I want to do today is just kind of lift that load of guilt off of all of us and say it's a struggle. This is a challenge. Nobody's perfect at this. But at some point, we got to make the choice to begin having conversations with God. Prayer is a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. No one is an expert. I've never heard someone say, you know, I really should slow down in this whole prayer thing. <laughs> like, I, I pray way too much. Like, I need more TV in my life or something like that and a lot less prayer. I have never heard anybody say that because prayer is a struggle, but we have to begin. It's a learned behavior. I love what author John Ortberg says. He says it this way. Prayer, perhaps more than any other activity, it is the concrete expression of the fact that we are invited into a relationship with God. In addition to all the other work that gets done through prayer, perhaps the greatest work of all is the knitting of the human heart together with the heart of God. See, God wants to hear from us. And consider that for a moment. The creator of the universe wants to hear from us. We should take advantage of that. And we can when we begin. 
having regular conversations with God, and we just throw ourselves into the struggle. Here's the second takeaway, and that is ask God for something. Just ask God for something. If you don't ask God for anything at all, you shouldn't be surprised when you get nothing from him. Somebody, we got to just ask God for something. We got to get passionate enough about something that we want or we need to really deliver that to God and ask Him for that. Got to ask God for something. Need a different type of job? God can handle that. Need help with some type of relational challenge at home or at work or at school or wherever? Well, God can handle that. Need a husband? Yeah, God can handle that too. About seven months ago, I actually had a lady come to me and say, I, I'd like a husband. Will you just begin praying about that? And I jokingly said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll pray about that. I'll add it to the list. And she came back to me a month later and said, well, how's that going? <laughs> That's when I realized she was really serious about this. I'm like, well, you know, I, I haven't done too much, but I'll begin praying that you find a husband. She came back about a month later. She said, I don't think your prayers are doing anything at all because I can't find a husband. She said, I'm going to go talk to your wife, Tanya, and I'm going to ask her to pray for me. So she went to my wife, Tanya, and asked her to pray for a husband. Six months later, she found a husband, and she's now married to him. So I think the moral is, if you want something really done, then ask my wife, Tanya, and she'll make that happen for you. Hey, you got to ask God for something. You don't ask God for anything. Nothing's going to happen, and we shouldn't be surprised. So what is it that you need? Go in and ask God for that. I love this quote. The fawning etiquette of unctuous prayer is utterly foreign to the Bible. Biblical prayer is it's impertinent, persistent, shameless, indecorous. It is more like haggling in an oriental bazaar than the polite monologues of the churches. That's why I love Isaiah 118. Come, let's strategize on this. Come, let us reason together. And what you discover in the Bible is that people got very serious about this and it wasn't clean and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't always packaged right and decorated in a beautiful way. They just got before God in persistent kinds of ways and said, here's what I need. And God came through. If we don't ask God for anything, he's not gonna do anything for us. So would you describe your prayers as impertinent, persistent, shameless, indecorous? Like, is that your prayer life? If not, I would encourage you to get passionate about something. Something that drives you, that you need God's help with. Or step into something that only God can get you out of and begin praying in a pertinent, persistent, indecorous kind of way. And I think you'll be amazed at what God does. Let's ask God for something, all right? Takeaway number three, start a journal. And I've talked to you guys about this before. It's something that I've done that's a small help in my own prayer life. And I just got old-fashioned paper and a writing utensil. I put down Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week. And I just began to put down different things on different days. Here's the family members I'm praying for on this day. Or here's the people that I'm inviting to Valley Point Church and I put their names down on different days and here's what I'm praying for about Valley Point Church and our future and where God is taking us. And that simple exercise has really helped me just zero in and know how to have a decent conversation with God because that's all prayer is. It's talking like how we would talk. But I have found when I pray, I kind of wander 
because God's not right there next to me. And so if I have my journal, I pull that out and I can kind of read through that and it really gives me a great focus. So start a journal. It really is a great thing that helps. And if you want to get better at the discipline of prayer, write some things down. The other thing that happens in that moment is I get the chance to go back and say, man, I prayed for that on this day and God came through. God answered. Now write down, he answered on such and such a date. And that gives me the opportunity to be very thankful and grateful for God and recognize that prayer is a good thing because it changes things. So start a journal. It's a great exercise. And then finally, remember that God has a lot. We're talking about God here. He's pretty big. He's the creator of the universe and he invites us to step into his presence and to talk to him and to ask for things and God has a lot. We're gonna do something here that's kind of a hard right turn and so I wanna prepare you for something that's a bit different here and that is I've got a video I wanna show you that's a little tune from an old TV show. I think many of you will recognize it. The tune's probably gonna stick with you all day but I want you to watch this And then I've got a quiz. I've got one question that I'm going to ask. And I want you to think about how God has a lot. All right, so as we watch this, remember God has a lot. Listen to the words. I've got a quiz for you. All right, let's watch this together. Listen to my story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolks said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbilly. All right, you're going to be singing that all day, right? Here's the quiz, the question. When did Jeb become a millionaire? When he shot the gun, right? Wrong answer. Jeb became a millionaire when he got the land. He just didn't know he was a millionaire. Here's the point. Our Heavenly Father is loaded. He is absolutely loaded. And he invites us over and over again just to step into his presence and to ask for what we need and for what we want. Often we just don't do it. And so let's not whine. Let's not complain. Let's pray, because prayer changes things. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.